Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Sean, I say it every week. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage podcast. But this week is different because we have two preseason games in the books and a Sean Martin vacation to Montana to talk about. So welcome to the podcast, folks. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. You can follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. Welcome back, partner. Oh, sir, it's good to be back. I kind of like how the last two summers of Montana trips have been able, we've been able to frame them here in the context of, you know, the upcoming football season. Two summers ago, I was there in July, and you know you're in a place that really cares about football when, you know, it's July 4th weekend or the weekend after, you know, the holiday, and you could tell you were in a place that was still eagerly awaiting football, and that was Bozeman at the time where Montana State University plays, and was at a Kenny Chesney concert and he sang Boys of Fall and the Montana State football helmet came up on the big screen and everybody went crazy. So, you know, you're in a football rich place when, you know, as early as the beginning of July, people are looking forward to it. And I used that trip to talk about, you know, how good it was to experience that. And then this time, of course, football really being in the forefront of everybody's mind. This trip wasn't based on anything. Football it was another music, uh, you know, theme thing. Got to check out the Rock in the Rivers Music Festival in Three Forks and see my friend uh, Zach play in a band called Purple Evolution, which is a uh, deep purple cover band, which which is awesome to see as well. So nothing really football themed to report this time, but it's just kind of a good contradiction way to you know clear the head, get out in nature. I saw Yellowstone as well. Um, you know, see some nature, hear some music, and contrast the way that we spend weekends uh, during football season. So, yeah, good to be back. I um, didn't realize that Cowboys fans were in midseason four and breaking down the Jaguars game. You know, I didn't have great service the whole time. And, you know, I was checking in as I could here and there. And, man, I came back to, you know, full midseason form of play breakdowns and formation breakdowns and film and, you know, this player's doing that, and I'm like, wow, you know, I don't quite remember going this hard for preseason week one, but of course, you and Terry and Williams had it covered very well for us here, and I was able to take in the Seahawks game, and hopefully I get up to speed with these Cowboys fans that are certainly eager to go as, as much as we are for a meaningful game, especially after last night with all the injuries. I think it's time to just press the sim to regular season button and get ready for the Giants. Well, we can't exactly press sim to get to the regular season. we got to suffer through these last two weeks of preseason and cut days. But here's what I wonder is, are you concerned at all with the pass defense? Here's why I say that. Drew Locke was able to basically have his way with the Cowboys' secondary. Now, I know it was backups and so forth, but still, you know, they may see some consequential playing time at some point, does it concern you? To me, though, really not. You know, obviously, the biggest first thing that you have to point out that's almost, you know, too obvious to really spend too much time on, but we haven't seen this hyped up cornerback tandem of Trevon Diggs and Stephon Gilmore. So, what impact they make is, you know, certainly expected to play a, a large role in limiting these big type of plays. And 
defense is all about, you know, everything being in sync with each other. You could even go on and on about, you know, how the pass rush can help limit big plays. And I was even encouraged by what they had out there pass rush wise, you know, more big plays from Sam Williams and things like that. But we haven't even seen Parsons or Dwayne Armstrong yet. So you put all that together and the expectation of giving up big plays certainly goes down. But, you know, I see a Seahawks team that really their master class on offense is the type of crossing routes and, you know, seam patterns that they were able to hit some of these big plays on. And Jacksonville kind of exposed you to a little bit as well. But Seattle, like I said, that's their master class. That's, you know, what they practice. So they seem to take the game to the Cowboys defense. And even on offense, they took it to the Cowboys defense a bit, which is probably my overall, you know, biggest concern just as far as preparation goes into this game. But as far as the individual matchups of what the Seahawks offense of Drew Locke did to, you know, this mismatch Cowboys defense, I think it was just a perfect storm of, you know, those crossing outs you really need communication and being able to pass things off. And you need players who have played a lot of snaps together to be able to handle that type of offense, especially coming from, you know, an experienced type quarterback who has been practicing in this offense every single day. That communication wasn't there because you don't have consistency in the players that were going to be out there in the meaningful snaps. So, you know, you look at the safety position you had. Junior Thomas play 48 snaps. That was 80%. So he was your most active safety out there. Marquise Bell played 45 snaps, 75%. Israel McClellan was probably the guy you'd want to see the most as far as confidence and trust in him out of this group. And he only played 23 snaps with 38%. So they're starting to, you know, put him on ice for the regular season, it sure seems. And then Celtic Redwine, who got injured, only played 18 snaps for 30%. So it's not necessarily a group that we can read too much into when it comes to how that how that snap distribution and how the starters are going to look when you actually have to play a real game against, you know, whether it's another Seattle team like Seattle, it's going to target you in similar ways, or you know, even Daniel Jones in week one or Jalen Hurts, the list goes on as far as potential challenges this Cowboys defense faces, and they'll be more prepared than they were on Saturday night. Yeah, I hear you um, on the crossing route stuff, but that 40 40- eight-yard pass that they gave up to Jackson Smith Najigba that you're saying that that's just within the complexion of a second string secondary was that the one on Eric Scott Jr. refresh my memory on that yes yeah I mean well he was in good position Scott you know he's kind of that press man you know he was in good position and then as the Cowboys broadcast pointed out you know, he just didn't look for the ball at the right time. So it's all teaching moments for, you know, a six-round pick that is still trying to do enough to make the roster. But it, there's, you know, rumblings that he has, you know, the blessing of Dan Quinn basically to even be drafted in the first place. So he's going to stick here. And that would make sense too, given the year two jump that we're already kind of seeing from guys like Sam Williams and the idea that a year in the Cowboy system really does wonders. Um could be the case for Alex Scott Jr. So he was in good position, man coverage-wise. He didn't get any safety help from, I think it was Red Wine who tried to get over. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit concerning in terms of he does need to con- to show more to really justify his roster spot as a six-round pick on a play like that. But he made good plays against the Jaguars. He responded well in this game. I know RJ Ochoa does our stock up, stock down after every game. He had Eric Scott on his stock up list. I can't say I'm ready to go that far in fully agree with that, but there were people who saw the game as somewhat of a positive for Eric Scott Jr., so that one play uh, can be forgiven. I mean, Drew Locke averaged 19.8 yards per attempt in this game. The league lead last year 
was Tua Tagovailoa throwing you know bombs to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. He only hit 8.9, 19.8 is not sustainable, and it's you know it's doing it against a secondary that was up against the limit of who we're really going to see playing snaps, and against a pass rush that simply isn't going to allow any quarterback to throw that deep that comfortably once you have guys like Parsons out there. Well, that's why we bring up these points on the Hidden Yardage podcast because we have to get you, the Cowboys fan, ready for what to say when your brother-in-law brings it up as evidence that Dallas is going to stink this year. And, I mean, it's stuff that you really have to look over and contextualize. I mean, Drew Locke, who's a veteran at this point, he's watched a lot of film, had a lot of experience. I mean, his career could be better than he would have liked. But he's still got a lot of football knowledge to, to to exploit within the context of facing second stringers in a preseason game. But at the same token, you do have to look at that as, well, Ferrick Scott Jr.'s out there and Dallas has an injury. You know, take Jordan Lewis, for example, and how right now he's a player that they're trying to get back. And you just have to wonder, is that going to be the Achilles heel when the attrition of the season mounts? I didn't see anything different in the Eric Scott play than, say, for example, the Kelvin Joseph touchdown allowed against the Jaguars last year. And one actually altered the course of your season, and this one didn't. So, you know, if you can live with that play, you can live with what Eric Scott gave you in a teaching-type moment. Last night, like I said, my biggest overall concern coming out of this game, now to you know get that out out of the way, is you know I just didn't see a Cowboys team that really I'm not going to go as far as you know saying they didn't have a plan, and that makes it sound like I throw every coach under the bus, and you know we're already calling for firings and nothing of the sorts there. But I just didn't necessarily see a team that you know, especially after all the chippiness in the last week of Oxnard practices and the competitive juices flowing, you would think that is prime time to want to go you know, take that out on another team. I've been around, you know, high school teams and the likes of that where you really see that play out. Once you hit that point in practice where you're just that tired of going up against each other and you and you need that competitiveness against a real team, that's the best time to go show it on the field and, you know, bottle that up and really go put on a good performance. And I just didn't see that much fire. I didn't see, you know, the late start time is a factor and it being a lot of those players that could bring that type of juice on ice is a factor. But... Yeah, I just didn't see, you know, really the, them using this game as, you know, as much to get as much out of it as they possibly could. It felt like Seattle, you know, had better play calls. They had the plan. They had, you know, a way to work through their death chart and see their young guys. Whereas the Cowboys were just kind of trying to get through four quarters and go through a couple things and go through the motions at times. And I just didn't see a full, you know, plan from this Cowboys team as far as how they can really use these live snaps to get a lot better, which is a little bit unfortunate because, you know, yeah, we think this team's going to be playing late into the season. So they have time to correct that. And, you know, we think that all the motivation in the world to be there when the Giants are actually in town and you open against a divisional opponent that you've had a whole lot of success against, but you still have to find a way to go play four quarters against the Raiders and try to make something of that. So, you know, if this was the end of the preseason, we, we should be having this discussion in a different light, but second of three games, and I didn't see too much purpose from this Cowboys team. Yeah, that late start time you talk about. I mean, if you're an AL West Central Time Zone fan, uh, that should be, you know, not too 
unfamiliar for you to have a uh, a, a, a I think it was an eight o'clock. No, it was at nine o'clock Central Time kickoff. Yeah. Nine o'clock central. I, I thought it was eight. I put on the TV like around eight, and I was also doing some work from home stuff. And then that that wasn't quite over yet. So I'm like, I'm getting ready to multitask, and then I see it's not on till nine. I'm like, all right, cool. This actually times out pretty good to uh, you know to be able to do both. But even by the end of the game, fourth quarter, I think we were all struggling to stay engaged in this one. Yeah, it won't be that way against the Raiders. Kickoff time seven o'clock next week. Um, but one thing that I've have seen from the Cowboys the past two games is, you know, they've got Isaiah Land, and he's someone who was an edge rusher in college, undrafted free agent, and they've moved him kind of to, you know, just inside linebacker a little bit and taken him away from just having to compete on the edge as he would in the run game and so forth. Um, But with these injuries to linebacker, as they await more info with DeMarvian over Sean, where do you have land right now in your roster construction? He's another great example, like I was saying, of the benefit of paying off to play in Quinn's system for a year and how Quinn had his eyes on him very early on in the draft process and then they steal him as a UDFA. He gets a year in the system and now you know, we see him out there on Saturday contributing. So, yeah, I think as far as defensive end goes, I mean, he sets the edge well. He has some juice to get in the backfield and, you know, we know that on the strong side, you pretty much can count on DeMarcus Lawrence to set the edge every play and who else they can line up over there and, you know, Leighton Vanderess. And you know, you're pretty well covered in that. But if you have you know that same type of presence of Lions, and then I, I even like what I saw from Marquise Bell kind of playing that enforcer safety, box safety spot on that same side of the field. So if you have guys who could do so on the other side of the field, I mean, that's when we, we can really talk about, again, this defense being elite against the run, which is the last thing that we need to see from them as far as progressing from last year. So, yeah, I think Land is firmly, you know, ahead of, um, a rookie from this year's class, uh, Junior Fajoko. I know Fajoko, you know, on the PFF grades, I just saw right before we sat down to record this, actually graded out pretty good. But, you know, on the initial eye test, I didn't necessarily see it from Fajoko. There's nothing wrong with that. He's, you know, a fourth-round rookie who's trying to develop. It's going to take some time, especially when they've already talked about playing him in multiple positions, kind of like a Chauncey Golston. It took him time. It's still taking him time. And, you know, you could put Fajoko in that category, and I think he's ahead of Ben Bonogo as well. But you look at the snap distribution, you know, Fajoko played 27 on Saturday, Bonogo played 19, and Land only played 17. So I guess that's kind of what I was saying as far as not having as much of a purpose in this game and, you know, just trying to give snaps to guys that you really want to develop, but trying to do so in a live game situation that they might not be ready for can sometimes hurt your development as well and gives you less of a chance to see guys who are really making plays, and I think Land is firmly in that playmaker category, and it's going to be hard on, on the numbers crunch to you know, find a definitive way where he makes the game day roster, but I just hope that that is a possibility given what we've seen from him so far in the preseason. What I was able to see from, from Land in the outing against the Seahawks was, yeah, like you were talking about, 
with the defensive snaps, but he they did have him playing special teams with with around I believe it was thirteen snaps on special teams. And you know, you're looking at over fifty percent of the you know, of the special teams snaps for the Cowboys. Um that may have even been the highest on the team. And so it's one thing to have land in the context of these defensive roles as you're talking about and getting evaluated there that way. But it's another if John Fossil is canvassing for him to, you know, not necessarily make the 53-man roster, but to be in the team's plans because this is somebody that he can use on special teams. Because a lot of staying power in the NFL relative to making a roster or being around a team relates to versatility. And if he can show a versatility related to the transition phase of the game, I think that punches a ticket. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's not a better two coaches to have on your side in this Cowboys building right now than Dan Quinn and John Foster. So if they're, if they're both saying they have a use for you and want you around, then you know your ticket's as good as punch as far as I'm concerned. So that's not a, a knock on Schottenheimer and McCarthy and the offense and them getting their way. It just feels more established on that side of the ball. You know, who's going to be where and offensive line depth is a concern that we'll get into later. But, you know, it just feels like we know more about who the, good, who the heavy hitters are on offense, who they're going to line up on. But, you know, we know the staple of Quinn's defense since he's been here in year three now is, you know, versatility and depth and mixing guys around and not just, you know, lining up the same way every snap. So that takes more bodies than it does on the offensive side. And Land is certainly a body ready to contribute to teams, and they've already put the time in with him since he's been in the building since last year. And when you add the benefit of, you know, Fossil being able to get his hands on him, yeah, that definitely goes a very long way, specifically for this team. It goes a long way for every team when young guys can play special teams, but really hits home for this Cowboys team the way that the, you know, the roster and the coaching staff is made up right now. And that's generally how Fossil likes to build his special teams is with the linebacking core. Because you look at somebody that he uses as an example in Corey Littleton with the Rams and how he grew up on special teams and then, you know, became that's how he earned his reps on defense was by being such a crucial special teamer. And so, like I said, that's how I figure land would stick around. One of these secondary guys is going to have to basically be their new CJ Goodwin, you know, to stick around. That could be Eric Scott early on, but like, you know, we talked about the concerns and the secondary giving up big plays last night. Not all of them are going to get cut. So there's going to be a surprise of like, how did this guy make the team? And, you know, the answer is going to be special teams staring you in the face right there as far as, a, you know, a guy like a Celtic Redwine who, again, got hurt. So that could be an issue there in making the team. But June Y. Thomas or, you know, Marcus Bell feels like he's safe. But when you're trying to make your cuts in, this, in the defensive secondary, it's easier to just go top heavy, look at your, you know, Diggs and Gilmore and, you have trio of safeties and then work down from there and say you don't need 
a whole lot, but Fossil's going to find a way to keep at least one guy who, you know, hasn't shown a lot on defense, but has made up for it on special teams. And, and that's what's fascinating about the line, the you know, the linebacking core, and the Cowboys' secondary is if you look at our lads, the way they've got the Cowboys' depth chart, they've got Malik Jefferson as the third option at weak side linebacker. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, safety play that gets mixed in with, the you know, the Cowboys linebacking core. It's fascinating. Yeah, unfortunate for Overson with the ACL injury. You know, like I've been mentioning also as far as coming back and having to play a little bit of catch-up with the Jaguars game, that was kind of my biggest takeaway was you know, almost kicking myself a bit over the overzone evaluation because, you know, sometimes football can be much simpler than we give it credit for because we all have praised Dan Quinn's system since he's been here for the fluidity and the hybrid type style between the safeties and the linebackers. And yet when I went back to overzone's Texas tape to, you know, see what type of play you were getting, I kind of, I'm not the only Cowboys fan that did this, but we took it as a negative of, oh, he kind of, you know, he plays like a safety in the box. We need the physicality. He's a linebacker. We, we're good at safety. We need a linebacker. But it worked seamlessly in that Jaguars game as far as, you know, being that next hybrid player. And I don't know why we didn't see that sooner. And like I said, kicking myself over to eval. And so with that in mind, really started to build up some excitement for what Overstone could have been in his rookie season. Now, unfortunately, coming to an end after what happened Saturday with the ACL against the Seahawks. But yeah, it is good to see Bell, you know, jump up on the death chart there. I think that he's not necessarily a player that needed, you know, a break like this to make the roster. He was already in his own right doing enough to, you know, be another Dan Quinn handpicked type of guy and make those plays. Certainly this helps and you never want to say, you know, a player was aided too much by another injury, but we know what happens. We know the Dak Prescott story and how that's relevant to playing in Seattle and all that as well. So having Marquise Bell be able to step up in a similar type hybrid role, I thought he set the edge well over on the weak side against the Seahawks. I think he's a guy that can play in the box and do a lot of similar things to Overshone. So, yeah, linebacker still becomes somewhat of a point of concern. I know some of the hype on Jabril Cox has kind of faded and rightfully so because I don't think he really flashed too much in the game on Saturday, and now you're going to have to get more out of him. But, yeah, I do think if you're going to find a positive with this news still being so fresh, it's that, you know, Marquis Bell can have a real path to uh, play some snaps. And we already consider the Cowboys' three-headed safety triplets in Donovan Wilson, Malik Hooker, and Jaron Coast to be one of the best in the league if you have a chance to make that four and really have four interchangeable-type players with Marquis Bell that could all play multiple positions and confuse the offense, then you're really talking about something special. So it's going to be some growing pain still. It's still going to be an adjustment to take all the packages you had in mind for Overshown and make sure you're still covered in that way. But, you know, we trust Dan Quinn to be able to do so and give an opportunity to a guy that he's had his eyes on for a while. And, of course, that would be Marquis Bell. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI... People can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. 
Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, let me ask you this. Do you think the Cowboys are a a sounder team technically than they have been, for example? They've had fewer penalties than the opposition the last two games. Now, I understand that that's more of a 2021 subject to be kvetching about. But still, I think it's warranted to point out that this team has had fewer penalties than the opposition. And the penalties that they have had that have been, you know, the running out of bounds on punt returns and so forth, they've only had four of those. And the rest have been just kind of in the context of a game of a defensive holding or offensive pass interference or something like that. Not completely just boneheaded type penalties. Yeah, they still had some backbreaking ones, you know, against the Seahawks, but overall I think you're right in that, you know, they, they are showing more discipline. They are showing better technique to avoid some of these penalties and that's really encouraging to say when, you know, we opened the show talking about how much they're, you know, are playing with backups and not to be concerned and take everything with a grain of salt. But, you know, even when your backups are playing with a good technique, that goes to so, you know, that coaching and philosophy-wise to enforce not taking these penalties. We can only hope and expect that that translates to the starters as well. So, yeah, I do think overall they, they are a sounder team. I think that comes from, you know, like we talked about that competitive fire from the last week of Oxnard and hoping that would translate. But I think specific way to focus on, you know, taking less penalties comes from this team's belief that the only thing that can stop them is themselves. You know, we've heard that from a lot of the veterans, Zach Martin, when he got back included. But I, I truly think that that's evident with this team. And I think that's raised the level of personal expectation or not take a penalty. You know, when you see Dak Prescott swinging it all over the yard, expecting to score in every single drive and you take a holding call, that's your responsibility then. You know, you didn't stop the the defense didn't stop the drive you did or the de- defense side of the ball you know do you give them a three first down that wouldn't have happened if you got a chance to line up and you know have Parsons go after the quarterback and what have you there so I think this team firmly knows that you know one of the only, one of the biggest obstacles they'll face this year is their own doing and their own attrition with injuries and penalties are a huge part of that that they've worked to clean up and it just seems like so far so good and getting that uh, that area cleaned up from a personal responsibility standpoint. And that's what I look at is if the, you know, second string, third string guys are playing technically sound, then you figure that 
up top. Those guys are too because one of two things. They're being coached better. So, you know, why aren't, you know, why wouldn't you expect the top guys to do it? Or there's a culture of responsibility from your top guys that trickles down. And so you've just got this enculturation of, you know, staying technically sound. And, you know, that could be why they've, they have lower penalties than the opposition. And because, again, you know, not to throw it to the name of the podcast here, but it really, I feel like for this team, it's going to take the that hidden yardage to really push them over the top because I think they're maximizing everything that they've got. Yeah, it feels that way. You know, when you look at and you look at, you know, the way they they lined up against the Seahawks and you're talking about, you know, not wanting to take penalties but still giving up big plays and you you mentioned getting the starters back in there. I mean, again, the most obvious one there was not having Gilmore and Diggs. I mean, th- how many times did those guys give up, you know, big plays down the field? So when you can still kind of have a team that keeps its head on straight, knowing that, hey, we're not really, you know, we want to get something out of this game, but we're not playing it in a way that, you know, we can really evaluate what it's going to look like in the regular season because just how many guys we, we have on ice, then, yeah, that does help you, you know, evaluate things like discipline, penalties, and, you know, team culture, all of that. That's really all you can look at sometimes when you're, you know, deep into a preseason game where you've all but accepted that, you know, the defense you're looking at isn't close to the defense that's going to play the Giants. Or the offense, of course, hasn't seen a single snap from Dak Prescott or Tony Pollard. So, yeah, that puts right to the forefront of what these coaches are looking for is, you know, discipline, penalties, just doing your job, being in the right place at the right time. And those things weren't all that bad against the Seahawks. I know, you know this game is being paid in for mostly negative uh, stroke in the media right now, but those things were where they should be, and we're not going to see many starters against the Raiders, it sure seems as well, so, you know, kind of just hold on to your hats on that front for another week, and then we'll, we'll all start to count down the Giants week uh, at the same time. And with no starters against the Raiders, well, you know, why should you watch? Well, there's plenty of reasons to watch, but I want to know your reasons, Sean, what you're looking forward to in this preseason finale yeah so i got about five players here to you know keep an eye on two we've already talked about throughout the show so i'll start with them marquis bell again caught my eye a lot against the seahawks hope to see him be able to build on it even if we get you know the best possible news that Oversoon could play in this game i doubt that he does but it'd be good to know that you know it'd be a possibility and then come against the giants he can play but yeah i think marquis bell is in that mix at safety it's probably right up there with hardest positions to, you know, see a, a fringe-type player make the roster. Once we brought back Coase and Donovan Wilson and Malik Hooker, you have that big three, and how much do you need outside of that? But he's that hybrid-type player that makes a lot of sense to keep here and take some linebacker snaps even and did so against the Seahawks in a big way. Eric Scott Jr. is on my list as well. You know, where do you think he, he's, uh, he needs a bounce-back game, or what do you think he you know, just needs to keep building on? The positives that he took away from the Seahawks game, need to see more from your six-round pick there. Easy one, I think, on the offensive line is Josh Ball. Need to see more from him. Matt Letzko went down with an 
opposite shoulder injury to the one that he previously had surgery on. So that's probably even more concerning in terms of just, you know, you don't want to slap the injury tag on a player too early, but consistently being bit by the injury bug is Matt Oletsko at a position where you already don't have established depth. So Josh Ball kind of needs to put his name into the forefront there and, you know, ask him to do so and only four more exhibition quarters might not be the most fair thing in the world, but yeah, they're putting a lot of trust in Josh Ball and we need to see something in that way against the Raiders. Mozzie Smith as well, a lot of negative talk about his performance against the Seahawks kind of getting turned there. And I think a lot of that is just, you know, defensive tackles, especially year one defensive tackles aren't meant to be watched, you know, under a microscope the way the Cowboys fans are because he's the first round pick and the use of this team making more flashy first round picks. Give me Mozzie Smith with, you know, Parsons lined up right there in the A-gap with him and possibly over soon out there. And, you know, this full scope of this defense, and I think he'll be just fine, but the microscope's not going away, so all eyes are going to be on Mozzie Smith. Best to see a bounce back performance from him. And in my last one, we really need to go back and watch the Seattle game to kind of see his alignment of where he was lining up. But I thought Asim Richards, you know, he was supposed to be the latest collegiate tackle that translated well to guard for the Cowboys. And I thought he had some good guard snaps, but if I remember right, and I'll go back and confirm this, it seemed like he got some time to tackle as well. And, um, was actually kind of seemed like he played held up better there than he did at guard. So that just comes down to where you think the bigger need for, you know, concern and need for death on this offensive line is. And I think the answer is tackle, considering you have, you know, Zach Martin back now. So if it is a tackle, I think that Richards actually was a positive in this game. And you just need to see him continue to build on that and um, be more consistent, as, you know, as consistent as you can ask a fifth round rookie to be. We need to see uh, what a Sam Richards can do in four more quarters against the Raiders. Yeah, and that's something that, for me, I can't really use a specific name because it's a problem, and you just want to see the problem solved. So it's really right tackle um, because Josh Ball either needs to step up Asim Richards needs to step up, or you need to cultivate some uh, some depth, some versatility on the right side because we have seen in the Mike McCarthy era that they will play Zach Martin at right tackle if the situation calls for it, if it gets that bad. So then, well... Is having a is your backup right guard a little better than your backup right tackle? That's really what that question is at that point. So somebody's got to show something on the right side, whether it's Richards or whether it's Ball or heck, I mean, even if it's at Farniak, I mean, somebody's got to show something on the right side. And then, um, you know, I, I, I think that with your receiving core, Jalen Tolbert, he's looked well. Can he finish strong? Because really, this is coming down to the point where he'll see 
less playing time just because of how top-heavy the Cowboys' receiving core is in the regular season. So you want to see Jalen Tolbert end the preseason on a high note. And then also, I want to see, you know, Luke Schoonmaker show a little more of, you know, that he's getting it, that, you know, he's probably going to develop, be your T1 by the end of the year. But you'd like to see him hit that stride a little sooner into his rookie campaign. And against the Raiders, he could show that he's just about getting there. So that's what I would want to see. And uh, I'm going to go for it and uh, say Isaiah Land. I want to see more of Isaiah Land and really have him force the Cowboys into a conversation about what they're going to do with their linebacking core. Because like I said, if he endears himself to John Fossil as a key special teamer, then he'll then it becomes a question of can they sneak him on the practice squad or they have to put him on the 53. I don't know that he'll get there, but I think he definitely forces the conversation. We got to go back to what you said about Shoemaker, though. So you think he completely, you know, supplants Jake Ferguson as your tight end one? I know Henderson hasn't had, you know, a huge showing. So maybe this idea of just, you know, great two headed attack of, you know, Ferg and Henderson and there's been a bunch of nicknames thrown around for what we should call it a duo. But, you know, this idea that they're going to be like this one entity that both makes plays and makes it hard for a third tight end to contribute has kind of faded just a little bit. And it's mostly just a battle between. Ferguson and you know what you think the Sumaker, but you think he surpasses Ferguson at some point? By the end by December. Yes. And I feel like that's just such a best case scenario for him. I, you know we we're ahead of where I said a couple of weeks ago on Sumaker of, you know, him him basically being a a rookie washout type player of, you know, just wait till next year for him. I think we, we snapped that and can't expect something from this year, but I just think Ferguson will be consistent and keep getting better and already has the trust of Dak Prescott, which is huge. So yeah, I think it's uh, you know going to be hard for Sumaker to quite be a tight end one, but high end tight end two is beyond where I probably had him as of, like I said, just a couple of weeks ago. So I would settle for that. Well, then at least we can come to an agreement somewhere, right? Yeah, we got to try every now and then. Yeah. Get getting mid season for him, you know. I missed the uh, I missed covering the Jaguars games, so we get to we get to do a practice round here. We get to do one more against the Raiders. It's preseason for us too, and then we get to uh, stay up late covering the Giants game. It kind of just hit me saying that just now. I haven't been thinking about the fact that we're going to be recording so late after the Giants game, but uh, yeah. And that hits you differently being in the Eastern Time Zone. Let me tell you. Hey, next week I'll be in the. Uh, Eastern time zone, so we'll get to record from the same time zone, which I know you always appreciate. So. Oh, nice. Let's do it at 11. How do y'all watch news at 11? <laughs> I, I don't get that. I, I just don't, but uh, I guess somebody out there uh, probably does. Or... <laughs> yeah, uh, but... it's the whole Eastern Seaboard. They're watching news at 11. I mean, I just 
I always thought one o'clock, you know, kickoffs were fine. I was just so used to it. But 12 o'clock really is the game changer here in Texas in the central time. Like it's just a perfect, like you can sleep in just a bit on Sunday and then you feel closer to the game than you do for one o'clock. You know, one o'clock, you still, you know, you spend your morning doing whatever. You can kill time. You can get errands done, whatever. And then you still feel like that last little bit is like too much of a wait. Where it's like, oh, it's not one o'clock yet, but and 12 o'clock in the south just sneaks up on you. Like, oh, it's time for kickoff and you could just go. How about the uh, 11 o'clock kickoffs for college football, though? Now, those are crazy. Yeah, those are those might be in progress, you know, when I'm just settling in to watch some football sometimes. So, you know, luckily outside of Ohio State, Michigan, that's usually not the, the biggest game of the week. But, yeah, I'm more of a nighttime college football watcher. So give me, like, the even the after dark stuff, you know. I know the Pac-12 is like the Pac-12 four three right now but give me the uh the west coast games over those 11 o'clock games college wise indeed all right let's get to the cowboys birthdays on monday randall cobb he played 2019 for the cowboys turns 33 years old on tuesday rayfield wright turns 78 years old and he was a hall of fame tackle for the cowboys 1967 to 1979 he was put into the hall of fame in 2006 from uh griffin georgia there you know every every now and then we get a player that pops up on here that, and i've said this before but makes you feel older than you should and for whatever reason hearing that randall cobb turns 33 is that player for me i, I know he wasn't a spring chicken anymore but yeah 33 just seems like uh you know if randall cobb is that old and the, the where are we at or whatever type of thing but you know, that one year in Dallas, he was a contributor. Now they're kind of hoping for, I wouldn't say the same, but even more from a guy like Brandon Cooks. And then you have Rayfield Wright, of course, and, you know, the other end of that playing for very much, you know, a throwback team for the Cowboys from 67 to 79. And um, like I said, also from, from Georgia, there would be a car being 33 doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I know. Um, then on Saturday, Darren McFadden, Turns 36. He's with the Cowboys as a running back from 2015 to 2017. And then on Sunday, Luke Gifford, uh, again, one of uh, John Fossil's heroes, turns 28 years old. He's with Dallas, linebacker 2019 to 2022. And that, like I said, John Fossil's heroes because he played special teams. And that's what I'm saying is that's a role that Isaiah should land. <laughs> that's awesome. Um yeah, I didn't realize Gifford got away to the, the Titans at one point, too. You know, that's kind of one of those that snuck by on me of, as far as transactions. And, you know, it sneaks by because you just don't expect a player like that to get away once Fossil has really favored him. So, you know, you, you can't keep everybody. And he's found, of course, his next class of special teams core players. And once roster cuts come along, we'll have a better idea of who this year's special teams core is going to be. But we can't gloss over Darren McFadden being from... North Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, you got to give us like an interesting fact about Arkansas in general or McFadden or uh, North Little Rock itself or something about McFadden being on the list as an Arkansas native. That, okay, all right. So, you know, I have a Rolodex of names, as we're well aware, right, Sean? I mean, you know, I got Shereen Williams on. Last week, for example, and, you know, I, I talked to people. So, Darren McFadden, Darren McFadden, 
is the one guy that will not give me his number. The one guy. <laughs> and it's almost... How many times have you had a chance to ask? Like three times. Um, it's wow. to the point of comical, and I almost want to keep asking him every time I see him now, but I don't want him to think I'm a stalker or something like that. I just would want to do it for the comedic effect of, hey, Darren, you know, give me that number now, you know, type of thing. See if you remember. But, uh, yeah, that's what I got on Darren McFadden. But, no, he's just such a, um, you know, still like a folk hero there in Arkansas because of what he did uh, in that near Heisman season of 06. Ah, no, 7 too. Well. Yeah, I know in the NFL, he was kind of just like a north-south runner and, you know, was still productive, but – you know, kind of just had the skill set that coaches could trust him, but Arkansas was a different animal for him. I mean, he was a do-it-all type of player and really just your prototypical, you know, college star that the fan bases could really wrap their, their head around because he was out there doing everything for this team and, you know, throwing passes and wildcat and really just being, a, you know, that, that type of star player in the SEC. Yeah, he really was. And, uh, you know, he set the standard for running back up on the hill. All right, Sean. One more game. To Fast go. forward. One more preseason contest, and then it's all for real. Yeah, like I said, fast forward to a to Giants week if we can. It's kind of annoying timing wise, so I'm going home next weekend, and then you know, I'll be back. And I think I'm coming back on like the September sixth, and uh, or coming back like a week before we play the Giants, not September sixth, but. Um, September 3rd, yeah. And then we played the Giants on the 10th, so it's like I'll just be leaving the area that they're going to be playing in, um, you know, a week prior to when that game is going down. But, you know, certainly I'll be watching from here and getting ready to cover it and having all things uh, walking the boys ready for us. So, you know, it's a good sign when you come back from the Jaguars game already being played and, you know, you feel like you're behind and have catch-up to do just from – everybody being fired up about one preseason game. So hopefully I feel like I'm caught up now doing this is a good exercise, of course, and covering through the Seahawks game. So let's do it one more time and be in mid-season form by the time the Giants uh, come around. We'll certainly give it our best. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify. Tune in in Stitcher. Follow Sean Martin and Sean Martin NFL and myself at the Real Mark Lane on X formerly known as Twitter, so there it is.